For those of you who are downstairs, please open your Bibles. I'm going to encourage you to open them to a very familiar passage that we're going to look at today as we conclude our three-part mini-series, The Way of Jesus, Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Again, I will say, I've got to move this up a little bit, very familiar passage. Um, we're going to read it in a few minutes, but I want to give you a little bit of an introduction and give uh, people who are upstairs a chance to come on back down, but also for those of you who aren't, haven't been with us. Uh, we began this three-week mini-series two weeks ago, uh, two Sundays ago, and, and the purpose was to remind ourselves and possibly, hopefully, learn something new about this grand subject called discipleship. You hear about it in the church. It's, a, it's a, an interesting subject. Most people think about discipleship, and it's like, yeah, it's a course I take, right? And I take a discipleship course, you know, like one-on-one discipleship, and then once I've done that, check the box, we're good. Well, <laughs> actually, there's a, a fair bit more about it. This subject, above all other things, quite frankly, is what we as the Rock Church, what any church for that matter, should be all about. And what is discipleship? Discipleship simply is this, making disciples who make disciples. It's a replication model that all of us are to be participating in, in order to be ourselves disciples. So learning how to do that, frankly, as we've been discussing, committing to doing that day in, day out, week in, month in, year in, year out, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. So we review. We go over these things sometimes again and again. And it's timely, really, as you think about it, because we're going to be starting up our missional community groups this week. And that's the purpose of them, is discipleship. That's why we're doing these things. So each week we've highlighted the fact that, listen, and the reason why we called this the way of Jesus, we've highlighted the fact that Jesus, in the days that he walked this earth, really had a very unique way about him. He had a very unique way about him. I mean, most of us, we see pictures of, you know, this, this guy in sandals and a long gown walking around, very peaceful. So, you know, we think he's just very loving and kind and soft-spoken. Yes, he was all those things. He would also yell. He would also laugh. He would also cry. But the way that he had about him that was really unique was interesting. And most people in our culture and world today don't really understand this or maybe haven't even heard about this before. But in that day, there was really two groups of people. There were those people that who really loved the way that he was. And the reason why they loved the way that he was is because they, oddly enough, were the people that he loved. And who were they? Well, they were the outcasts in that society in that day, both Jewish and Gentile, non-believing, pagans. They were the, 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 the known sinners and tax collectors and and, and just the, like the, the, the lowest of the low, at least in the minds of the people who thought his way was rather disturbing. And who would they be? Well, the religious Pharisees. The, the people who thought that, you know, like, like we've got our act together. Look at us, Jesus. You're, we're the people who you should want to be hanging around with us. Look how good we are. And Jesus was like, yeah, you might be missing the point. And so this way that he had about him, he, he loved these people. He wanted to eat with them. He invited them to come into his life and to follow him. And, and people just spoke about him on both sides of the spectrum in very interesting ways. Either they loved him because they were just so surprised that he loved them. And then they really didn't like him very much because of who they, he actually loved being with. 
So that's a picture of Jesus that we need to understand, and I hope you've been getting that over the last few weeks. So since our focus is on discipleship, learning from Jesus how to make disciples who make disciples, we, we discovered that the first step with Jesus was actually quite interesting, you know. Um, it was simply this, come and see. Like, like there was no big apologetics program or, you know, you need to go through a course or you need to, you know, clean yourself up before you come to church or whatever it might be. And with Jesus, it was just simply to everyone, everyone, come and see. Come and see where I live. Come and see how I live. Come and, come and hear what I have to say. Just come and see. It was a really wonderful invitation. And I know the first Sunday when we talked about that and I preached that sermon, some of you the next week took me up or during that week took me up on what I challenged you to do. Just invite someone to come and see what we're doing here, what we're listening to, and why we do this. And some of you did that, and that was really awesome to see. So it's an open invitation to come into his life, see where he lived, to, to eat with him and him with you. And this is what we learned. It was important. This invitation was completely inclusive. For God so loved the whole world. It was for everyone. Every single person was allowed. Everyone's welcome. No perfect people allowed. And why is that? Well, <laughs> for starters, there are no perfect people. Amen? It includes all of you <laughs> and me, right? Well, there's nobody who's perfect. And so, of course, it's an incredibly good news invitation. So I would suggest to you, if you're still checking out Jesus, if you're still checking out church, that should be pretty good news, right? Just come and see. There's a pastor in Ontario who uh, he, he calls it something, I think he calls it stick for six, right? He basically says, listen, if you're, if you're going to come and see, like, just come for six weeks straight, okay? Just keep coming, you know, and just because it's going to take a while for some of these things to, and some of the things that you might see and hear to sink in, to make sense, to potentially make a difference. And for the Christian, this should also be very encouraging as we witness and share our faith with friends and neighbors. And despite the cultural pressure, which is basically saying to most Christians today in Squamish, in Vancouver, in Canada, in the United States, keep your Jesus and your teachings of your Bible in your church or in your private life. And we, we get a little afraid of that, don't we? We all do. And so that should also be very encouraging to you because really all we say is, hey, come and see. Come and hear again. Maybe you, maybe you actually didn't hear it right about who this Jesus is and what he has done. Come into my life. Come into my house. Come into my community. Come with me to church on Sunday and see and hear for yourself. So last week, we noticed that things changed. As Jesus calls people to come and see, he then calls those who are coming and seeing to follow him. There's a change. There's a rather dramatic change. It goes from come and see, everyone's welcome, it's totally inclusive, to rather exclusive in the sense that Jesus is essentially saying, listen, and we saw this in last week's message, at the end of the day, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, it's me first, Jesus first. He has to be our highest priority. He is the son of the living God. He came to this earth and died on the cross to save you, 
No one else is doing that. And so he asks in this, follow me, that he be our first priority and that we no longer be people who are me first. If you didn't see last Sunday's message, not because of me, but I would encourage you to check it out on our YouTube channel because it's important to the context of what we're doing today. He is the one who said these famous words in John 14.6, I am the way, definite article, the, I am the truth, the embodiment in per, a person of truth, and I am the life. That we will see much more deeply today, this life aspect. So it becomes really exclusive. But in that, we are led to see more deeply and profoundly who Jesus is and why, in fact, he actually came. And we'll see even more clearly today, I hope, that Jesus came to both redeem and restore us. That's an important point. So today we conclude with go and make. Go and make. And my hope for us today is that this will show you and I that this is actually the most important aspect of the way of Jesus. It is the key to making disciples who make disciples. This is the key that we'll look at today. So if you have your Bibles open with you, I'm going to read the text, very familiar passage, and then I'm going to give you your outline for today, and we'll pray one more time before we dive in. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Matthew records these events and the words of Jesus. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. These are the eleven. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, to the end of the age. Your message outline for today is, I hope we will see three things. Number one, who are you? That's a question. Number two is a statement who you are if you're in Christ. And thirdly, becoming who you are. Pray with me one more time, would you? Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I, I, I pray that you would just again be with us this morning. Holy Spirit, I know how important this text is to you. I, I know, Lord Jesus, how important these words are to you. This is your commission to the disciple-makers. And by extension, it is to us as well. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, you would be the one who would teach us through this. Use whatever it is you've given to me. Change it along the way if necessary so that this might really, really speak to our hearts today. Every single one of us. I pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Number, amen. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say number one. I forgot to say amen. Got to close that off right. So number one, who are you? Who are you? I want to think about that with you for a few minutes. I think the first question that we might ask related to that, of this well-known command by Jesus, what we know today as the Great Commission, is this. What did he exactly mean by this? 
Like, what exactly did he mean by this? Because many of you have heard this over and over many times. Preachers preaching it at you, right? I'm hoping to be preaching it for you today. But secondly, we need to also be thinking, well, how? How is that, like, how does that work out? How are we to do this? When you think about how churches and Christians, for that matter, have understood this in the past, you, you may have, as I have in the past, come to the conclusion that what this is all about is it's about, hey, go and make converts, you know? Go to a Bible camp in the summer and pray with some kids and check the box because they accepted Jesus, announced that 37 children, you know, came forward and gave their heart to Jesus, and, and, and that's it. Your work is done, right? You know, it's about making converts, that's what many of us, I think, in the church may have thought. It, it, what you need to do or we've been led to believe is you need to participate in some kind of evangelistic program, you know, like a Bible camp, for example, and, 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 and you, you go and share the gospel with unbelieving people, or better, better, you bring them to the church so the guy up front can do that for you and for them, right? It's not better, actually, but that's the thinking that sometimes we get. And, and, and then when they accept Jesus and they get baptized, you're done. Anybody ever kind of thought that was the, the program, right? Or at least at this point, you make sure they're connected to the church and they get into a missional community group and now you're done. No. No, that's, we're going to discover today not what it's about at all. So this text tells us, as I, I mentioned, he, he gave this command to the 11, right? Judas is no longer with them. He has hung himself, and so they're down to 11. They will be 12 when the book of Acts begins. But there are 11 at this time. These guys are the hand-picked capital A apostles. These are the dudes. These are the guys that Jesus hand-picked. He prayed to his heavenly Father to affirm the picking of these men, but they're the guys that Jesus not only sent into the world, but empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the kingdom of God, preach the gospel, plant churches, and in many cases, write the New Testament church. These are the guys that are there with him at this time when he's giving this command. Their job description that he gives to them is relatively simple, but again, do we understand what it means? They certainly did, especially when the Holy Spirit came upon them, because they did it. And if they hadn't done it, you and I wouldn't be here today. And so they were faithful to it. Their job description was to then replicate what Jesus said and what he did. And it was, and this is very important for us to see, the Greek language here is, and I don't want to get geeky with you, but it's important, the, the language that Jesus gives to them, that this is an ongoing, ongoing making and making. And so it's not a one-time event. It's like, oh, you made a disciple over here and you're walking with that person. Like, okay, and then there's this other one and it keeps going and then you teach them how to, you know, like do that and it's like, and they do that. It's, it's an ongoing, ongoing on making of disciples who are, listen, capable of replicating exactly what you have done for them and in their life. That's the model. That's why I call it making disciples who make disciples. So last week, we spent some time thinking about why all of us, all of us in the church, find it so hard to follow Jesus, right? And we, we looked at that in depth, and you can look at the message last week. I mean, the come and see part, we all get, right? Some of you are still in the come and see mode, right? And that's okay if you've been here for three weeks. But if you've been here for three years, that's not really a good thing, okay? Just be clear there. 
The come and see part we've all got down, but this follow me part is, is really the ongoing challenge. And we saw last week, it was a challenge for the early disciples too. Following Jesus, take up my cross daily, cost of discipleship, sacrifice, my life for your life, for my life, really. It's a challenge. We also learned last week that the truth is this, we are all followers. It's so clear in our culture today. We all follow something or someone. Social media, as I said last week, is predicated on the need to follow or be followed, right? Um, we, we end up being followers of the crowd, really, even though we're, we're unique. You know, we're very distinct people, oh, really. You know, we end up becoming followers of the crowd or at least a specific community and its values and its mission. Ultimately, however, we understood this that it basically boils down to two things. First, we were created in the image of God and we were created to be followers, exclusively of our creator, God. But secondly, we also learned we've all bought the lie that Adam and Eve bought, and that is we would be better off following ourselves. Me first. So, if it's hard to follow Jesus today, and it is, we have to be honest about that, then I want to suggest to you this morning, it will be very hard, if not impossible, to effectively, boldly, and boldly go and make disciples who make disciples as well. For you and I to truly follow Jesus and go and make, then you and I must know with more clarity and, and more certainty who we are. So who are you? Who am I? Let's deal with that question. I'm really, relatively certain that most of you have, if not asked this question at some point, some point in time in your life, have, have heard others talk about, you know, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a couple of years off before university, after university, and I'm going to go on a little bit of a journey to find myself, right? Anybody ever said that? You could confess right now, okay, right? You know, and, and the truth is, the truth is, here's what happens, is that even though most of us have done something like that, we're trying to figure out, what, since we're very young, like, who am I? Why am I here? What's the point, right? We were answering that question, but the truth is, we're, we're on that journey most of our lives, aren't we? Like into our 20s, into our 30s, into our 40s, trying to figure out, who am I? It's a good question to be asking, and it's really important to actually, obviously, then get that question answered. All through our lives, we're trying to better understand this, who we are as men and as women, right? We're trying to understand that. We wonder at, at, at sometimes, us guys anyway, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be manly? Is, is there, like, how, how do, you know, or apparently we need to grow up and, and actually not only look after ourselves, but be ready to be able to be partnered with a woman, right? And have kids or whatever that might be. So there's, there's something. We've got to learn about that, right? And, and we wonder what it means. And for women, especially over the last 40 to 50 years, come on, it, it's become even, there's even more questions for women in our culture today, right? How, how is or how can a woman, listen, be, be strong and, and be equal and yet at the same time still be feminine? I mean, is that even a good thing anymore, right? Like, so we, who are you? How do you know? These are questions that we're all in our culture today trying to answer and figure out. What about being a mother, about being motherly, and then at the same time still be a person who has value and worth? Who are you? Who are you? Yes, so we're all also very concerned about 
self-defining, aren't we? And at the same time, not being left out. We want to be unique yet included, accepted and approved for who we are. Diversity seems to be the goal, but uniformity, universal acceptance is actually the reality. Hmm. So I'm sure that uh, no one here today, uh, if you have a phone, <laughs> smartphone, if you're on the internet at all, or you watch television, I'm sure no one here today or who's watching is, is, is unaware of what is becoming a crisis in our culture today over identity. Things, things were, quite frankly, so much simpler when I was a kid, okay? So when, when I was a kid, it was, it was basically, uh, you know, the, the, there, was, there was confidence issues, there was competition issues with other boys and with girls, there was acne, right? Like, there were, there were serious problems, okay? And, and issues to have to deal with, but I'm, I'm really grateful for the fact that I, I didn't have to, to have to deal with the fact that whether or not I am really a boy or maybe a girl or something else. I, I can't imagine the pressure that that would add to me. So now, obviously, I want to be sensitive here. I really do. But also, we need to be able to speak into this cultural moment, church. So we need to be wise about this. What we are seeing today, I believe, is this. It is the natural outflow of the desire every human being has always been struggling to understand. Who am I? Who really am I? It's like we were born that way. We all are truthfully born knowing, not knowing who we are. I think if we start to get a grasp of that, it's going to help us individually, but also as we share. Identity issues then are not really a new thing, are they? They're not a new thing, but they're certainly becoming much more complicated. Let me ask you this question. Could it possibly be that we all know intuitively that we are not who we should or could be? There's very good news. There's very good news for you here today. If you're a Christian and desperately want to see young boys and girls, uh, or if you're not, men and women of all ages, yourself, finally discover who they are. There's really good news. I don't have it, but I know him. His name is Jesus. He can tell you. He can help you with that. He's the only one who can truly do that for you. It's really good news. So what we've learned over the past two weeks, especially last week, was that Jesus came for, he came for a number of reasons, but two key reasons. First, he came to secure your salvation, to die on the cross in your place and for your sins, for my sins, and then rise again so that he could welcome us into the family of God. But then there's a second reason. And as a result of the first, he came to give us whole new identities. To, in fact, restore our true identities that were lost in the garden through Adam and Eve believing the lie. So on that note, let me remind you of something I said last week, and I'm going to put it on screen. It is this. I hope it's helpful. When considering taking Jesus up on his offer to follow me, 
the last thing anyone, any of you, anyone in our world today should want is for Jesus to affirm or approve of us just the way we are. He gave his life for us so that he could give us whole new identities. That's what this text is actually about. Oh, it's about a commission. It's about going and making, but that's actually what this text is about. So that was number one. Who are you, the question. Let's look at the answer to that. Who you are if you know Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God is resident in you. Look at verse 19 of chapter 28 with me. Number two, who you are. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Raise your hand if you've heard this verse before. Raise your hand if you've heard this verse primarily at baptisms. <laughs> I know. That it, that's exactly what you, know, what you say when you baptize someone. You know, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. It, it's, 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 it, it can oftentimes be just this rote thing that we say, and it's like, uh-huh, that's what it's for. End of story. No. No, it's, it's actually for something much deeper and much more wonderful. So if you've been part of the, the rock for many years, you will have heard this before, this teaching this morning, but I'm hoping you're going to hear it afresh today. Embedded right here in the Great Commission, the commanded mandate to go to, as the church and make disciples of all nations is the new identity that you and I have. It's embedded right here in the text and in this command. If you and I are in Christ, we now have this threefold identity. And it is this, and we're going to unpack this this morning. We are family. We're children of the Most High God, sons and daughters of God, and we're family. Secondly, we are servants. Thirdly, we are missionaries. And so, as I said, many of you have probably heard these words before, mostly at a baptism, but I want to highlight one word that I have highlighted in this text that is really the key to understanding your identity in Christ and your new identity that is available for you to live in in Christ. And it is the word name, right? It's the word name. Some of you have had children recently. Some of you are continuing to have children recently. God bless you. It's an awesome thing, right? But what do you do before the children are born? Well, you know, I keep asking Anna and Matt, have you got a name for the, the next one? They're like, they will never tell me, right? Like they, it's because they know I might put it on Facebook. It's bad. So, <laughs> no, really, I, I've done that before and gotten in trouble. <clears throat> so, but what do we do? We, we, we name our children, right? And so normally, you know, like we, we, we pick the, the last name is the family name, whatever we might choose that might be. Uh, you know, we, we choose the family name, which is important. But then, then we choose a first name and we choose a, a middle name and sometimes a, another middle name or whatever. And, and oftentimes it's the first name is like, of course, what we want the child to be called, right? And uh, then the middle names are sometimes uh, honoring grandparents or others. And we've done that kind of model with our children, like uh, my dad, Janice's dad, and then once we got past that, we went to you know, like people who were very a good friend, an uncle in one case, of our children and stuff like that. But we, but we name our kids. Why? We're a family. That's why we do that. That's what's happening here. That's what this is all about. And it's in this ceremony naming that we learn our new identities. And so the first thing we learn is that we are being baptized in the name of the Father. In the name of the Father. 
And so the moment, what happens in our lives is the moment the Holy Spirit begins the work of regeneration in the heart, the, the, the moment that as you've been coming and seeing and, and you've been listening and the Holy Spirit is actually speaking to your heart and you're going, wait a second, I might actually be believing this stuff. That's the Holy Spirit, by the way. Don't walk away from that prompting. Receive it. But the moment that that happens, it's, it's a regeneration or actually a resuscitation of your spiritual heart because here's the deal. You might be alive physically, thank you, Jesus, but secondly, you're dead spiritually without Him. And so that's why He came, is to regenerate you and resuscitate you spiritually. And at the moment that that happens, immediately listen, you are born again. Ever heard that phrase before? You're born again. Immediately. And the good news is when you're baptized in the name of the Father, you're immediately adopted into His family. Into His family. As what? As a son. As a daughter. As a child. Listen, I don't, I don't want to be dramatic here, but can you, can you just meditate on that for a second? Just please think on that for a second. Because here's what I know about every one of you, because it's true of me. You forget this often. You're his child. You are loved by the God of this universe, by your heavenly Father, in a more perfect way than you ever have been loved by your earthly Father or ever will be loved by any earthly Father. It's a perfect love. It's a protective providing love. You're an heir. Kids, you're in the will. Do you get this? You're in the will. You are an heir with Jesus Christ of everything. Because of anything you've done or I've done? No. But because of everything that he has done. And so, so we're sons and daughters. We have a, we have a new family and we need to live in it and live out that new identity as a son and as a daughter in family so that we are continually transformed and we become who we are saved to be. Secondly, we are baptized into the name of the Son, into Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who now has been given from our text all authority over all things in heaven and on earth. He came to proclaim what? The kingdom of God. Who is he? He's king. The POTUS is not king. Thank you, Lord. Our current prime minister is not king. The Saudi princes are not kings. He is king today and forevermore. So what's your identity? What's my identity? Well, he's our king. We're servants of our king. We get to be servants of a benevolent king who died for us, gave his life for us. Do you want to serve anybody else? I sure don't. I've been serving others, including myself. We're a servant. And, and how do we serve our king? We serve our king by following the same model that he did. He became a servant of who? Everyone. <laughs> of others. 
We serve our King Jesus by serving others, and that starts, friends, in the family. It has to start here. Fellowship is all about. Then finally, we are baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. So finally, Jesus was sent into this world to save us. He sends us missionaries into this lost world, but not alone. Like the disciples, the eleven and others were Pentecost, right? In Acts chapter 2, in the power of the Holy Spirit. You, Christian, have the Holy Spirit of God in you. So do I. Man, I don't let him do what he wants to do very often. But we have him, and, and he's sending us a, in, as missionaries into this world. This is the one, I think, this is the one most challenging thing besides really understanding it's not about making converts, is about the fact that we are all missionaries. I mean, how many of you have heard again in the church over the years, because I sure did, they bring these people over, you know, like come back on furlough, and they bring them up on stage, and they're like, like they've been over and wherever over there, and they've had to sell everything. These are the real serious Christians right? Like, these are the people that have been called to go over there. They're, they're, you know, we're just, we're just the lay Christians. There's no such thing, by the way. They're the serious Christians. They're the missionaries. They're the ones who give up the life that we get to have here in Squamish and maybe never have a home and live with a, a tribe or a, a people in poverty for 30, 40, 50 years, and in some cases, maybe be persecuted and put to death. Those are the missionaries, False. I posted on Facebook this past week a, a quote from one of my, my favorite guys on this subject, this guy, and on missional community groups. Those of you who are part of The Rock, you know Jeff Vanderstelt. Um, we've modeled uh, our missional community groups a, a lot after what he has taught and his church leads out. But he had this to say, and I posted it on Facebook and I think uh, Twitter as well. Your work is your ministry. Your work is your ministry, not the way you fund your life. It's the way you display what God is like. Jeff Vanderstone. I added to that, because I'm not nearly as uh, creative as him, but I've had this thought for years, and I put it this way. Put another way, for the Christian, the only difference between a pastor, a missionary, or a church staff member, and a carpenter, a doctor, a barista, an entrepreneur, etc., is how God directs our paychecks. That's the only difference between us, or it should be the only difference between us. So this is who we are. As a new creation in Christ, you are, we are, and it's on the top of our e-newsletter when it goes out every week, it says at the very top, a family of missionary servants. That's who we are. We need to remind ourselves of that, and that's why we're doing that, this today. So finally, we must consider this. Why? Listen, think about this. Why, if Jesus wants this to be our identity, and he does, why doesn't he just have the Holy Spirit wave a wand and go, oh, done, <laughs> and then we're perfectly that? It's a good question, I think. I, I'm asking it because, well, because he has a better plan. <laughs> and his plan is, is that you will grow and I will grow in who we are and in our identities as long as we are going and making disciples who make disciples. It's brilliant if you think about it. It's very brilliant. So that's who you are, church. That's your primary identity. 
You have gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to start studying that on Sunday nights, mid-October for six weeks. I really hope you will come to that. The serious ones will come. We really want to know what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. Point number three today, becoming who you are. Because here's the deal. You and I both know this, right? All know this. There might be an initial rush, but it doesn't seem to stick after a little while. So it's about becoming who you are. The text completes in verse 20 with this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then look at this. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just a quick note on that last part, to the end of the age. It tells us very clearly that Jesus has in mind a very specific period of time. It's not going to go on forever. So this needs to be happening in this time frame before Jesus comes again. So first, we go and we invite, the, the idea is this, we go and we invite men and women to come and see and then to follow Jesus. And while we're going, we're inviting them into our lives, into our homes, into our community, into our church, right? And, and then what are we doing? We're making disciples is what we're doing. We're not doing church. We're making disciples. How? By walking with them. By living life on life with them. And this is key. Please don't miss this. Teaching them everything. Jesus has commanded you. You see the you there, don't you? How, how long do you think it would take you to teach someone everything about Jesus? A lifetime? Probably. It takes an investment. It really takes an investment. So you are observing and being taught everything that Jesus commanded as you are discipling others. I mean, you have to, right? You've you got a new Christian or a person who's been away from the Lord and comes back to the Lord, and you've decided to disciple that person. Boy, oh boy, are you going to need to go to the Word, right? You're going to need to be right here so that you can instruct them and you can disciple them and lead them. So what's happening to you while you're doing that for them? You're here. You're growing in your faith and your walk with Jesus Christ, this is how you and I actually become continually ongoing, making ongoingly disciples. And this is how we find out who we are. So listen, a couple of things here before we get to a conclusion today. Here's the problem with that, again, I think for most of us here, for you and me. This takes work, right? <laughs> it, it takes work. It takes effort. We'd rather, all of us would rather a magic wand, I'm sure, like a pill, something here, here you go, boom, you're a disciple, oh, you know, life is going to be great, everything's going to be perfect, we'd rather that. We want it to be easy, but we know this to be true. It takes a lifetime to grow into becoming a mature man or woman of any kind, but especially of God. And that's what Jesus, of course, wants you and I to become. Let me try. I, mean, I want to give you a couple of illustrations that maybe will help for this. Um, early on in my business career, I had an amazing mentor. His name was Robert Kojima. Yes, he was Japanese. I worked for JBC, the stereo company in Toronto. I got hired there, second Canadian hired, awesome job. I was 23 and I knew everything. Not really. And uh, anyway, I was a second Canadian hired and there was this other guy and me and he was older than me, but we were still kind of vying for who might be 
the, the manager, like the sales manager, or whatever it might be, right? Um, he, of course, eventually became that because he was older than me and Japanese are very much. But the, one day I had lunch with Robert. And uh, I, I'd been going out to various, you know, stereo accounts and TV shops and, you know, t telling them about JVC and I've been doing the work of trying to get an order from them, right? And, and I, I couldn't, I, like I was, it wasn't happening, right? Like they would listen to me and they, they really liked the product, but then, you know, when I, and then the other guy who became the sales manager, he would come in and, and all of a sudden they'd give him a $50,000 order. And I was like, wait a second, right? So I went for lunch with Robert one day and I said, Robert, uh, you know, because I've been given a territory that was, to, like he was national sales manager, so I was given a territory, Toronto, uh, uh, west and uh, southwestern Ontario, and I was like, you know, Robert, what I, what I need is I need a business card with a title on it. Like, that would help, right? That's what I need. I need a business card with a title on it, right? Western, uh, Western Ontario sales manager. And then when I ask people for the order, they're going to give me the order, right? Robert was amazing. <clears throat> Besides the fact that one of his favorite sayings to me, he was a Harvard MBA grad, one of his favorite sayings to me was, oh, grandson, you know nothing. I still love him. But on that occasion, he said this, grandson, assume the title. Act like a sales manager. Just, just be a sales manager. That changed my career, to be honest with you. I actually found out later, once I started getting titles, that they were actually a bit more of a burden <laughs> than, a, than a help, right? That was important. I also met a man at a, at a, at a church one time, and, and I, was, I began my preaching career very young, uh, and I met this man, and I, I didn't really understand eldership, and I asked this, this older man who I really respect, I said, I, I don't know what it means to, to be an elder, like, can you describe to me, like, I, I know the qualifications in Timothy, but what does it mean to be an elder, and like, how do I go about doing that, and all the rest of it, and he just looked at me, and it was the same as Robert had said, he, similarly, anyway, and he just said to me, Glenn, just start doing the work of an elder. <laughs> Someone will notice you. It'll be obvious to start doing the work of an elder. I just want to encourage you guys to start being who you are. Like being who you are. It's not going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, six months, a year from now, where all of a sudden you're going to go, wow, <laughs> this Christian identity life thing is awesome. It's going to take a while. But you will get there if you just start living that way. Second illustration would be this. You all have heard about the honeymoon phase, right? You don't have to be married to have had the honeymoon phase. If you are married, I sure hope you had it, <laughs> right? But it, it's about a career, a, a, a new relationship, a new whatever it could be. And there's that phase where at first everything is like, oh, like everything is so awesome. It's beautiful. It's love. It's, just, it's everything. And then, whoom, real life. I remember when I became a Christian at 23 years of age, I was a long-haired um, smoking various substances, hippie, rock and roll drummer, long story. <clears throat> and uh, I, I remember I, I came to Christ, and it was, it was really a dramatic thing. I'm not trying to make a big thing about it, but, but honestly, I, I, for the first nine to 12 months, I, I was like, I was angelic. I mean, I got a haircut. Um, it, was, it was incredible, really short, too, and, and like this. And uh, I just, honestly, I was on a high I, I, everything that I had been doing before, smoking, drinking, taking the Lord's name in vain, that was a bad one, gone, totally gone. And then I hit a, I hit a wall. Things started coming back into my life, and I was like, what is going on here? 
I flatlined. Anybody? This is what can happen. This is exactly what can happen. So allow, listen, here's, here's what can happen when it comes to you and your faith and your new identity in Christ. You've, you've, you've all, I hope, at some point in time had that initial euphoric, I love Jesus. <laughs> I love his church. These people are weird, but I love them, right? These are my family. Yeah, I'm in, right? And, 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 then, and then you hit this flat line and you wonder, is that it? Is, is there nothing more? I think we've all struggled with that. There's three things that can happen at that point. Number one, you can continue to struggle, even as a Christian, never really experiencing in your life as a Christian who you really are in Christ. And you know what else? You can and you will, during those times, go back to some of your old ways. And they will make your struggle in life even worse. Because now you're incredibly convicted, conflicted about who you really, really are. But secondly, you, you could end up just giving up and walking away. That's tragic. But thirdly, you could get exactly what we're talking about here today, right? And, and, and you could become or continue being the disciple that Jesus has saved you to be and called you to be. And I want you to hear this from the Lord. I'm going to put it on screen. Please hear it from the Lord. I'm just the messenger, but it's a thought that I had, and I, I think it's true. I believe it's true, and it is this. If you or I are not making disciples, listen, then you're not being a disciple. I'm not saying that you're not a disciple, or you're not saved, or you're not a Christian, but you're not being truly a disciple if you're not making disciples. I think the Apostle Paul, most people would agree, was certainly a man who understood the call on his life, right? He really understood it, and he also wrote much to encourage us in our new identities in Christ. He wrote these words that I want to put on screen for you and read for you uh, to the church in Ephesus, but typically what he did, the first thing he did, uh, which I'm not having on screen, if you want to read before this, it's in chapter 4, verses 20 to 24 that I'm going to read for you, but before that, he, he just reminded everybody about, about what they were like before Jesus, right? And it's not a pretty picture, okay? But he just likes to remind you about how you were, and then he says these words. But that is not the way, look at this, you learned Christ. How did you learn Christ if someone wasn't teaching you everything that he commanded them and you? Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Listen, look, to put off your old self. That's why we get baptized. That's a picture of the old person going into the water and dying there, and then being resuscitated, brought back to life as this new creation in Christ, which belongs to your former men of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He concludes with this, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self your new identity, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in holiness. As we conclude this series today, let me encourage you that with these words. To be effective, 
and faithful disciple makers, men and women who have heard the call to go and make, number one, you need to know who you really are. You need to know who you really are. We need to know our identity and truly see it as Jesus' best for us. Secondly, we need to be living out our new identity every day. And then thirdly, we need to be inviting others to follow us as we're following Jesus. In the process of disciple-making, that we are continually, it's in that process that we are continually being transformed into this new person, acting like the people we really are and becoming day after day more like the people we are supposed to be and can be. It's a lifelong journey. Amen? But it's a great life. It's the best life. Let's go live it in his strength and in his word. Pray with me, would you?